Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. So, I've been thinking about this series that we're going to jump into. I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, There's a document that uh, some of you may have seen. I don't know that we've done a great job of of making it widely available, but there's a document that came out in the fall, and uh, it's called Why Vineyard. And uh, it kind of gives a a big shape to um, some of the history of this particular movement that we are part of, family. It talks about some of the theological underpinnings, the, what, we, what we kind of build on with our language and our assumptions, but what the Lord is inviting us to. And, uh, and so I actually want to take a little while for the next, at least for the next month, and just kind of go through some of that as a, as a point of reference. And um, before I get too far ahead of myself, it's important for me that whenever we get into really specific things about who, who we are, um, whenever we talk about us, and we, we are an us, right? There are people who are part of this community in measurable and tangible ways. The, this, the Guelph Vineyard is, is your home, is my home. You're an us, right? And then there's a, a more collective us, which is the Vineyard family at large. And, and um, you know, and, but the, the, the kind of the rub with that kind of language is that there's a them, Right, there are distinctives between, say, what we would believe uh, about certain things, and say what a Pentecostal church would believe about certain things, or Baptists, um, or Catholics, or or whatever. Right, there are differences, and one of the things that I'm very cautious about in my spirit is that when we start talking about what what really resonates, kind of at the center of who, of, of who we are as a people that it's not a, like a sales pitch or like a reason why what we believe is better than what somebody you know than other churches and the emphasis that the lord seems to have put into their into their vision and their gathering point and so i just want to kind of put that out on the front end it's it's not a why vineyard is better uh, because that's that's hogwash right we are uh, we're no better <laughs> Um, and so I thought it would be important as a point of introduction to talk about the word, why? Talk about why vineyard. And so some of you may be thinking, hey, did we not just do an entire series about living questionable lives? We walk in and there's a big question mark on the screen and like, you know, do you just have one sermon to preach over and over again, right? And uh, so the answer to that question is, is sort of yes on some, on some level, um, a friend of mine once once said, you know, for the things that are important, you need to be relentlessly boring about them, right? In the sense, you just have to repeat, 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 right? And I am increasingly convinced that the place that we're called to occupy as a body, as a people, that it actually does reckon with questions. It invites questions and... Uh, and so I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that sense of, oh, here we are talking about questions again. Um, 
But we are going to push into a, a, a bit of a, a, some different territory this morning. So, how many of you know that why is an exhausting question? And I give an answer to that question, and then you say, and then I give an answer to that question, and you say, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing, and every parent, um, and uncle, and grandparent, and friend <clears throat> knows that at some point the answer becomes, because I said so, right? It's, it's, it's an act of self-preservation, that, right? Um, and, uh, and so, you know, this is the thing. What it, it's, an, it's inexhaustible. And, and here's the thing. It reminds us that we're super finite. Because all of us, it doesn't take too many rounds of that before we get into the place of actually I don't know. <laughs> That's why there's a Z after it. Good. Yeah. Um, and so there, there are a couple of different kinds of, of whys as I've been reflecting on this, the question why. It's not all the same thing, is it? One is seeking to understand something. It's, it's, an, it's an answer to a pre-existing question situation. Why is it like this? That's one of the whys that we need to ask in life. It's a really fun why to ask. Um, most, of, most of us have been presented with or, or thought something as profound as, why is the sky blue? You guys ever thought about that? No? All right. Do you know why? Okay, I'm going to... Well, We'll come back to you in a second. You know, I, I just read a biography on Leonardo da Vinci, one of the most curious people who ever lived. And, uh, and buried in one of his notebooks is the question, why is the sky blue? I love that one of the greatest minds that have, you know, walked the planet pondered the question. And what's even more wonderful is that he actually got pretty close to the answer asking the question, which is very cool. So why is the sky blue? It's because like, the way that the, the light refracts with the horizon and the atmosphere, it like makes it blue. Why doesn't it make it yellow? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> Do you have the answer to that one? Why? Okay. Hmm? Nitrogen. There of course. Of course it's nitrogen. It's obvious. Here's the, and here's the really cool thing about the question why, is that depending on how we relate to it, like we, we can say that, yeah, nitrogen, yeah, of course. So what is it about nitrogen that, um, right? Like, why, why does it make a difference? I don't know, right? So it's this unending, unending thing. I actually have a video that gets in, you know, that kind of explains this a little bit. Why is the sky blue? I think we've, we've covered it 
probably to the same extent. The answer to the question, by the way, is that nitrogen molecules, they tend to disperse blue light, which is the, one of the shorter wavelengths, like each color has a different wavelength, and so it gets dispersed more broadly. So I hope that clarifies it for you. Um, I, I know that's why you came to church this morning, was to find out why the sky is blue. So that is one kind of why. Why is it like this? Right? Uh, it's the next kind that I am, uh, of why that I'm particularly interested in. This is a different kind of a why. A why that results in a so that. A why that points towards the future. A why that doesn't just simply explain what is, but a why that, that leads us forward in a particular direction. And you know what the most powerful thing about knowing a why like this? Is that when you have a so that in your life, why? So that I can have community. Why church? So that I can have community. Why God? So that I can be loved. Right? When there's a so that, it allows us to make powerful decisions. It allows our yes to be powerful and it allows our no to be powerful. A why that leads us to a so that is, it's a bit tricky to get to though, isn't it? And if you've ever thought about that, because it talks about or considers the direction. We've talked about a word before, and I'm going to pull it out again. It's a word that you find kind of in academia, like an academic word a little bit. It's called telos, right? Which is, which is direction, the direction of a thing. A telescope is the direction of, that you're looking in, right? It's, it's pointed. And so... I think, you know, as we hit 2020, and I'm not going to make a vision joke, or, you know, everyone's doing that. That's great, yeah. <laughs> With all my creativity, I just, you know, hardly resisted. Um, as we step into what feels like a new opportunity, a new decade, We need to have, I'm convinced, we need to have a reason to get up in the morning and to show up to what God has for us. And the church is increasingly dealing with this. You know, and it's not just about keeping the institution healthy, you know, keeping the finances healthy, keeping the whatever healthy, making sure we've got programs for things. I mean, that's, it's a small part of the conversation. But understanding why we get up and show up to the invitation of God in our lives is really important because it is rarely in the direction of gravity. Do you know what I mean by that? It is very rare that the invitation of God is easy. And the other thing is that I am increasingly convinced, and we are going to see this as we walk through some of these difficult questions that we're tackling as a movement, that what we are called to is often an inconvenient kind of community. Inconvenient kind of community. You know, if you're into gaming, right, like board games or whatever, that is easy community, right? All you need to do is find a good game. And you get around, you have, you have all kinds of common interests, 
It's a very specific common interest, and you know, and that's easy, right? Or if you align with people who just simply think the same way that you do, that's an easier kind of community. Um, Tim sent me an article. Tim Wilgamet sent me an article probably a few months ago now. And uh, it was just kind of exploring some of the dynamics of what's going on in churches in North America. And there was a lot of interesting things and critique that came in there. I may have even referenced this in the past, I don't know. But um, the way that it closed was super interesting to me because it was talking about um, some of the political alignments that have seemed to have taken over the identity of the church, Right? And, uh, and we can point our fingers as much as we want onto the states. You know, there certainly is a, 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 maybe a clearer demarcation of some of those lines, but we have it too. And the author, who I'm not certain was a believer, to be honest. I don't know. Maybe they were. But it wasn't clear to me. You know, they kind of were bemoaning the loss of the church as a place that actually had the capacity to hold real difference. Like even politically. Right? A, 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 a sense of community that was strong enough to hold the left and the right in community, honest to goodness community. And, and I, you know, regardless of what the controversy of the day is, it, it, this is something where we are defying, the church is called to defy gravity in this way, the social gravity of things. We're called to hold together around something that is way bigger than some of these other tensions that we hold. And I'm convinced that the why so that equation is a really important piece of that. And so I'm not going to be able to answer all of that this morning, particularly not in the next 10 minutes or so, but this is part of what we're going to be exploring as we step into the why vineyard stuff. Not, again, that we have all of our answers there. Um, you know, the vineyard is not the thing that's going to fix the world. The kingdom of God is, is going to do that, and that's way bigger than the vineyard. Um, but I think it can help to provide a little bit of clarity around some of the things that actually do unify us, pull us together. So this is um, the author of Hebrews is we, when we've actually referenced this scripture recently, um, but I wanted to come back to it again. And this gets into Jesus' equation of the why, why this so that that, right? So therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and, and the author of Hebrews has just gone to great pains to highlight all of these different biblical heroes. Some of them were actually kind of creeps, but there was, always, there was something. It's quite a list. It's, it's, it's a laundry list as well as it is uh, praising um, the people who have exemplified faith. You know, but there's this, there's this list of these different people who have lived by faith. And therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will yourselves not grow weary and lose heart. And so this is kind of a prayer that I have for us. Jesus tasted something that was a joy that was so palpable. It was a reason, it was a why that he endured the worst, that he endured the worst Thing to endure. The cross, for lots of reasons, isn't, isn't even just the horrors of the cross that we talked about as we came up to Easter last year. But the weight of what Jesus did, what he took on, what he became in that place. It was, there was a horror in what he endured. Right? And, and our convictions that are not rooted in a powerful why will not endure the cross that Jesus will invite you and I to carry. Because we will, we will carry a cross. We will bear a cross. We are bearing crosses. This is part of the invitation of the scriptures. This is part of what Jesus said. Right? So, where did some of this come from? I, I'm, I'm riffing a little bit on uh, on, on a bit of a reaction, I, I saw something on social media because I haven't quite kicked my addiction just yet. Um, I saw something on social media and, and I actually, this is not so much a corrective to us. I am so pleased with how we gather and the kind of community that we are and the sort like yesterday gathering with the Nuckies and, and just there's example after example of, of real community that's taking place. Right and gathering and pressing in and and so this is a reminder, not so much as a correction. So somebody who I'm loosely associated with on Facebook, I we may have met once, um, posted this on a, a last Sunday morning. I'd rather be in the mountain thinking of God than in church thinking about the mountains. Now, I. Uh, I have this sneaking suspicion that some of us can identify with this, right? And I want to say two things. I want to say, first of all, I want to say fair point. There are definitely times, there are definitely times where, where this is something that is worth thinking about. But in the context of this post, this is what uh, this, this person wrote. And this is the danger, by the way, of posting things on Facebook. You never know. It might end up you know, being part of a sermon in another country. Um, in a few hours, it'll be time to get ready for church. Not sure I will make it. These days, I'm really wondering if it's the best use of a Sunday morning. If worship at its core is submitting to Jesus' lordship over our lives, if awe and wonder in the presence of a holy God is both the right response and also a difficult practice, then what is the best way to worship? And I ask this as a member of a very Christ-centered church that takes the work and wonder of worship as a high calling and serious business. Even so, sometimes the mountains would be a better setting, I think. 
And so I saw that, and I felt really challenged by it. I was really challenged by it. Um, I think we ne- we need to not be afraid. You know, I, we don't need to do a poll, but I'm willing to guess that a, 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 a percentage of us that would be consequential have thought something like this before, probably. And I don't want to come down hard on this individual. I don't know her story. I don't know her church. I don't know all of the ins and the outs of this. But it did get me to thinking. And what's really important is that if we are going to be about the things that Jesus has called us to, we need to not be afraid of asking some of these questions in church and say, hey, listen, what's the point? What is our why? What is our why? Because we never want to serve an institution Right, and that's going to lead into some of the Y Vineyard material that we're going to kind of be going through. But like, we're not here. We're not here to prop up an institution. We're we're not here so that Chris can have a salary, although I appreciate it. Right, but that's not the point. And if it becomes the point, then, well, then then something like this, I think, becomes more warranted as a as a as a critique. And so I am super interested in diving into this together and hopefully uncovering whys that are sufficient and powerful enough that we will do the hard work of moving against gravity, against the, against the, the tide, against the current, whatever metaphor you want to pick that looks like hard work, right? And step into the things that God has for us, the risk that God has for us. A phrase came to my mind. I'm gonna. I'll wrap up shortly here. A phrase came to my mind um, that I really like. I, as many of you know, I think I really love reading. I was in books as an industry for a while. It's kind of a thing for me. And uh, you know, there's there's the phrase that I just that makes sense to me. Uh, what it looks like to lose the plot. Right? Nikki, how important is it to not lose the plot? <laughs> and I want to say, I, you know, again, like it's really important in the tonality of this. This is not about saying that we have lost the plot, but it is about just articulating that, hey, this is happening all over the place. People losing the plot. There is a massive movement um, of uh, you've heard the statistics probably about people who identify as being, you know, a believer of this of this religion or that religion or whatever, and then you get to this huge segment and it's increasing. It's called the segment of the nun, the nuns, right? You know, I I don't basically it's like agnostic or or spiritual, but not identifying with any sort of organized religion at all. So they would identify as being as being nuns, right? Well, there's another increasing segment. It's called the Duns, right? And maybe some of us have even drifted in and out of that designation. I am, I love Jesus, but I'm done with church. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done with all the hoops. I'm done with showing up early and setting up chairs. I'm done with, you know, and uh, and that's that's a world that like we are very close to that world. We are not at a remove from that world, and so it's important for us to talk about this and to just ask some really good questions. Because if we have a firm understanding of why we do what we do, 
then we can overcome some of those things, I believe. I have. I've had moments in my life where I was done, where I had lost the plot. And it just, you know, the, the motions of it didn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. You can. About losing the plot. In a book, especially a mystery novel, there's a middle, a beginning, a middle, and the end. And you can get lost in the weeds in the middle. That's the part where you have to do a little bit of slogging as a reader to get through. And the thing that keeps you committed as a reader is your commitment to the characters. And I think that can translate to us. That the thing that keeps us committed is our commitment to Jesus and to what he's called us to in this story that we're all in. That's good. So says the writer, and I, but the published writer. Yeah, totally. And I just want to drop this, I mean, this is, this is um, a little, uh, I don't want to get, again, get lost in the weeds too much this morning, but I do want to say that with regards to this thing of like the me and God piece, and, you know, when Adrian texted this morning and said, hey, what about setting up in the round? The thing that I really love about this is that if you look at the heft of the bulk of Scripture, most of it is actually not about how to relate to God. Most of it is actually about how to relate to one another. That's actually the bulk of what you find there. In the Old Testament as well, do you know most of the laws in the Mosaic Law were about community rather than about worship? Most of them. There's... There's, there's a good heft to the other side as well. But like, it's a big piece of what we're called to do, what we're made for, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And there was a big thread that came out following it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's exactly right, the character of Jesus. But the character of one another is so central and critical to who we are and what we say yes to. I'm going to land this plane. So this is um, a, a snapshot of the document that uh, we'll make available primarily through the email. If you can't access it through an iPad or something like that, then uh, we, we can make that available. But this is basically the, the arc of, of the next little while. So we are going to just touch on some of the history of our particular movement. Some of the theological things, so the truths that we that are, are kind of beneath our feet, that are part of the foundation of, of how, you know, the, the assumptions that we're working with. And then dive into this posture and practice thing, because these things actually really matter. It's the way that we are towards one another and the way that we interact with the world that we live in and the way that we approach Jesus. These are all posture practice elements that are, that are the, actual, the way we actually live it out. And so we're going to spend some time in this throughout the next, throughout the next month or so. Um, yeah. Can we just, uh, can we do this? Can we just get out of our chairs and kind of come in? We'll gather around the table. And we're just going to take communion.